Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere on the border of North Korea. I'm actually looking out right now over the river into the North Korean area. I can see several guard huts where the North Korean soldiers are supposed to be. It's lunchtime, so I don't see them at the moment. I'm going to be doing this recording a little bit lower. I apologize. I still don't have my good mic that I'm traveling with at the moment. I've left that in my other bag. And so I'm just traveling around with my mobile phone, which is fine, especially for where I'm at right now, because it does not look good if I'm walking around with a microphone, even, even though it might be a lapel mic, a little small lapel mic, it still stands out. I had an amazing time last night. I was able to sit down with our Back to Jerusalem missionaries. I was thinking about recording some of our conversations, but it's mainly in Chinese. I would have to come back and just give you a translation of it anyway. So I want to tell you a little bit about what was said because it was a freaking amazing time. These guys are always inside ministering and preaching and having challenges, but also testimonies that we don't really get to share unless we're face-to-face. And even when we're sharing, when we're face-to-face, it's usually one-on-one. But we had almost the entire team. We were only missing one family. We had the entire team from Pyongyang and other parts of North Korea that had come out of North Korea into China so that we could spend this time together. Even when I'm going inside of North Korea, I'm not able to meet with the Chinese so that I'm not associated with them, or rather that they are not associated with me. So they got to share a little bit about the situation that's taking place inside of North Korea. And they gave me some insight that I really want to share on this podcast some of what I'm going to share, I'll put on our website before this podcast is posted because I'm traveling right now in very sketchy areas. So I don't want to be doing any uploading. I have to be very careful, even with my recording that I'm doing now, the people that I'm traveling with would make them very nervous if they knew that I was doing this podcast recording. But I feel like these podcast recordings are so essential to those that are praying for us, especially those that are part of the gatekeepers program. Right now, the Gatekeepers program is one of the things that is keeping Back to Jerusalem operating inside of North Korea. North Korea is a very difficult place to operate. It's one of those places that you don't see a lot of organizations because a lot of organizations don't have the stability and they don't have the kind of partners that we have. Many organizations need to be able to put out a plan for good reason. They need to be able to put out a plan and a budget. They need to know how much things are going to cost. They need to know exactly what the money is going for. They need to know what to raise money for. They need to be able to know what to tell their donors. Because of our gatekeepers, many of you that are listening to this podcast, you're donating every single month. I can tell you that we are using funding from gatekeepers inside of North Korea. We started one business inside of North Korea. 
the business didn't last for three months before we had to change it to something completely different. Now, for, for us and for our Chinese partners and for the North Koreans on the ground, that's not a problem. But for many Western investors that are used to the mentality of investing in a, in a way like you're doing it for Goldman Sachs, many people believe that, you know, you gotta, you, you can't just be so <sighs> flexible. But flexibility is absolutely essential. When working in places like North Korea. So flexibility for us is something that we have on a daily basis. Now, we can put in a lot of planning, but I can tell you right now, some of the planning that you would do for long-term projections is an absolute waste of time. Because what ends up taking place is that plans change from the moment your boots hit the ground. Anyway, so I sat down with these amazing back to Jerusalem missionaries who are putting their life on the line. And I was like this hungry child sitting in the front row of the classroom waiting for the wisdom to drip off of the teacher's lips so I could catch every syllable as if it was spoken from God himself. I, I was, I was the eager little child in the front, you know, the one that's like always putting his hand up in the air saying, me, 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 pick me. And I was listening as if I was – it was my my great-grandfather of a sage that was telling me stories of old and, and I'm hearing fascinating riddles from bygone eras. So in this little meeting that we had in an upper room of a, a Chinese apartment, I'm listening to the challenges, the victories, and the hardships of working inside of North Korea for the last year. One of the guys that was there, his name was Mr. Wong. It's not his real name, but it's going to be his name while I, while I talk about his testimony. He told me straight up, dude, it's been a challenge. China has really cracked down hard on what we can take inside of North Korea and what we can't. Many businesses have shut down. Many businessmen and women from China have left. They've left North Korea. There, there was this big push of Chinese businessmen that were working inside of North Korea because China bought the rights to be able to use the road from their border all the way down to the, the sea. Many Chinese have flown into Pyongyang. There's direct flights that go from Beijing into Pyongyang and from Xinjiang into Pyongyang. And so Chinese have been able to do a lot of investments. But this guy told me that many of the businesses have shut down. He told me this. He said, I used to stand in long lines of immigration when I arrived in North Korea, but now I spend less than 10 minutes before I can collect my bags and move on because there's no lines. There's no people really investing inside of North Korea. When I asked him, you know, why he told me because of the U.S. sanctions, they're real this time. Before, when there were U.S. sanctions, it was a joke. Everybody knew that China was allowing North Korea to buy oil and smuggle coal and bring seafood and all the things that China wanted as well as China you know, to keep them going. Basically allowed North Korea to work beyond those sanctions. And nobody was really willing to take China head on until this administration in the U.S. Not only were the Chinese 
enforcing the rules at the border. That doesn't mean just goods going from China to North Korea, but goods coming from North Korea into China were also enforced. And the, the, the Chinese uh, brother that I've been working with, Mr. Wong, he said before he boards the plane, they give him a list that comes from America. It's stamped as American. So the, the list that they're using for China doesn't say according to Chinese law. It says according to American law. These things cannot go in or come out of North Korea. Before, we used to be able to take in 10 kilos of, of goods into our shops. Now we can't take anything but personal items, the bare bones. And so this has stopped many Chinese. Chinese are like, what? No, I can't make a profit doing this. So they've stopped working inside of North Korea. The jobs for the local people have vanished Imports and exports have been re completely restricted, and it's almost impossible to survive. Right now, Miss um, Chan, not her real name, I have to hide their real identities, says that many of the people that used to be a part of the working force inside of North Korea that she used to see walking on the streets every day, going from their homes to their offices, from the homes to the factories – Marching around during noontime for lunch from the factories going out to the place where they're, they're going to eat if they don't have their canteen already built into their factory. They're now empty. The streets are empty. Lunchtime, there's many places to eat without one person out. Many people are stay, staying home because all of their jobs have gone away. And the people are hoping that by using less energy and not leaving the house, they won't have to eat as much. The people are hungry. They're starving. They want the Chinese to give them jobs at their businesses, but that's impossible. Ms. Chan told me, we can't hire those that we want to hire. We can only hire who the government tells us to hire. You see, the government is trying to save their own families. So if there are any jobs to be had, those jobs go to government family members. Not to Joe Schmo, who you think is good at accounting. Just because you run a business and you're from China and you would like somebody who knows about mechanics to work on a truck and you, you've got a guy, Mr. Kim, that's been working with you for many years and you want Mr. Kim to come and, and work together with you, the government officials may come in and say, sorry, you have to have Mr. Joel because Mr. Joel is who we give you. And you don't have any say in the matter. You can shut down your business and leave. And that's what many Chinese have chosen to do. The Chinese have been a really big source of salvation for the North Koreans. And it's a major concern for the North Korean government that they can't give jobs. There's more people without jobs right now and more people starving to death in North Korea, just like I was sharing about last year. As we were moving into the winter season, I told you that there was a famine that was taking place inside of North Korea. It's been underreported because people don't know what's going on. We have no way of getting access to the numbers of people that are dying because of starvation. But things are bad. That was the number one message that I got from the Chinese. And because things are so bad, the North Koreans are really enchanted right now with China. They have no hope in their own country, and they think that the Chinese are super rich, and many of them would like to have a chance to live in China. 
And they ask many questions about the freedoms and the economic wealth in China. They like to talk about food and easy access to information that they have inside of China. They have the, what's called the Great Wall, the, the, the Great Firewall that keeps information from coming in. So Chinese don't have access to Facebook and YouTube and um, a, a lot of the social media and, and regular media that we have in the West. And yet they're considered to be heaven compared to North Korea. So the North Koreans are asking the Chinese about food. What kind of food do you like? Where do you buy it? What does your grocery stores look like? Do you ever run out? Do you have enough money to buy? Do you have to wait in lines so that the government gives it to you? What? Wait a minute. You can actually buy it with your own money? You make enough money to buy food? What are your restrictions? You can buy as much food as you want. You have to throw food out because it spoils. You, you, you buy the food that you like, not the cheapest. You, you don't have to wait in long lines only to get a handful of rice, maybe a couple of vegetables and no meat for a couple months. Have you ever gone long periods of time without eating? Fasted maybe for a few days, a week. I went through hell week when I was in the Marine Corps. I dreamed about food. Everything I thought about was food. I went through the U.S. Army Ranger School. And I can remember I came out weighing 135 pounds. Uh, I was given 30 days off for malnutrition when I, when I came out of the school. And all I could think about was food. In Southern California during those days, they had 29-cent cheeseburger Tuesdays. I lived on a diet for almost that entire 30 days of cheeseburgers and chocolate chip mint ice cream. I don't even like ice cream, but it was the only thing I could think of. I came back to my unit in the Marines and they looked at me. I put on my PT gear, which is, you know, green shorts and a green shirt. And one of the guys actually said, dude, you look like you just came out of a concentration camp. I was skin and bones. All I thought about was food and when I went through sniper school, that was several weeks. When I went through ranger school, that was two months. What? I was a winter ranger. So losing weight made me even more cold. I can remember shivering at night. We were only able to eat at midnight. So at midnight, so we were able to sleep from 12 to 4. But we wouldn't get our MREs, our meals ready to eat um, until midnight. So at midnight, when it's supposed to be our sleeping time and I'm super tired, that's when we're supposed to eat. When I was going through sniper school, scout sniper school in the Marine Corps, you go through hell week, which is five days of no sleep and no food. I can remember laying down on the ground in Fort Benning. It was cold. It was uh, El Nino was going through at that time. And so the seasons had changed quite dramatically. And even though Fort Benning is supposed to be quite warm because it's in Georgia, it, we had snow and it was freaking cold. I was, I was shivering. And um, all I could think about, even though I was cold, even though I was tired, even though I was exhausted, all I could think about was food. I remember laying down on the ground, having grass in front of my face, plucking it 
and eating it. I was on a patrol. I completely cheated. I violated the, in, the uh, integrity of the scout sniper training school because I was on patrol. I remember going by a, a garbage can and looking in the garbage can for food and finding a partially eaten cheeseburger. I don't know how old it was. I didn't care. I pulled it out and I ate it. So it's not technically true that I even went a full five days and five nights of no sleep and no food because I did eat. These guys in North Korea are going forever. Months. They don't know. I knew that there was going to be an end to that hell week. I knew that I would be able to have food at the end of my training. My, my, at any time I could have rang that bell and said, you know what? I'm done. I quit. I want to go back to my regular unit. My starvation was self-imposed. When we go on a fast, it's self-imposed. It's a completely different story when you're starving and you don't know where your next meal is coming from. You don't know if there's going to be an end to it or not. And these North Koreans are talking with the Chinese and fast and completely fascinated. Like, tell me more about food. You ever travel with hungry missionaries into rural areas of Africa? You ever go out onto the front lines with a grunt unit in the U.S. Marine Corps or the U.S. Army, or maybe you're from um, the Royal Marines or from another country and their military? You know what military people usually talk about the most? Toilets, family, girlfriends, but number one is food. You talk about all the food you're going to eat when you get back. When you've been traveling in the Middle East, working in over 140 degree weather in Iraq, wearing all of your gear, busting through the sand dunes of Kuwait, and all you can think about is an ice cold Coke from McDonald's, crispy, salty fries made with real fat, not some trans fat oil wannabe, and a Big Mac with sloppy sauce. I mean, that's, that's the way that the Chinese are describing the North Koreans talking to them about China, saying, tell us about the food in China. Tell us how easily accessible it is. Tell us how much you can buy. Tell us how much you eat. And of course, the Chinese take this opportunity to talk about Jesus. The Chinese told me that it's gotten so bad. Mr. Wong jumps in and he, he says, it's gotten so bad that there is now a new law in North Korea. North Koreans can no longer spend time with Chinese alone in a one-on-one -on -one conversation. So now, according to the new law, anytime there's a conversation between someone from China and North Korea, there must be at least two North Koreans present. Chinese are no longer able to have private conversations by themselves with one other person from North Korea. The risk is getting too high. The reason is because there are a lot of people that have zero hope right now in North Korea. They're dying of starvation. Worse yet, they're watching their loved ones die of starvation. And there's not a single thing they can do about it. I'm going to pause here. I'm going to come back on our next podcast. And I want to share about a testimony that has come directly from the field. 
an amazing story that happened just one week ago. I think it's appropriate as I'm sitting here on the banks of the Tuman River. I want to share about this amazing testimony that I heard about last night in North Korea. Thank you so much for joining us for another Back to Jerusalem podcast. Again, I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, coming to you live on delay from somewhere on the border of North Korea. God bless.